0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Heavy Duty Dealership Talk podcast. I want to start off again by just saying thank you to everybody that's emailed us and and sent us text messages and just kind of giving me some ideas and input on some topics that they want to hear. And we're going to do one of those today. So I had a question that was emailed to me, and the question was, what kind of leader are you? And can you give some examples of good leadership and can you give some examples of bad leadership in your experience at the places you worked? But before I get into that, I want to just send a special thank you shout out to a good friend of mine, Timmy J, also known as Timmy, who uh, sent me a text message the other day. And he said, good people don't leave bad bosses. Good people leave bad cultures. Tim, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, I assumed you listened to my motivational podcast and I really do appreciate that. So I uh, appreciate the feedback, and honestly, man, it was a good statement, and I wanted to send a little bit of a shout-out on the podcast for today. All right, so let's get into it. Um, what kind of leader are you? Let me. I'm going to start off and just make a statement. You can easily become what your boss is or what the culture is, and this can be both good or bad for you. So what the heck does that mean? Well, let me explain to you what that means. I've seen it where ownership has given a message across to the management staff in a negative tone, kind of with an iron fist. And you as a manager, as a true leader, you want to make sure you're the filter between ownership and the people. So just because it may have been given to you in a negative way does not mean you have to give it to your staff in a negative way. Now, it is up to you to get the mission across, to get the message across to your staff, but you have to do it clean. You have to do it in a positive way. The easiest way for a manager to lose a staff is to be that guy that's just ugly, that's aggressive, that's just rude. And what he's saying is, well, this is how senior management wants me to do. This is what they told me to do. So don't point the finger take accountability for your actions and make sure you give the message across in a positive manner. So another statement I'm gonna make that ties into good leadership and bad leadership is if you make a bad call, it's okay to go back on that call. Now a little bit of example is there've been situations where I've seen senior managers make a move and put a person in position that probably wasn't fit for that position. They did it at the time they thought it was gonna be a good fit and it turned out not to be a good fit, but they decided to continue to roll with that decision Regardless of what people thought, just because of how they felt, people will think about them if they move back off from that person or move back on to bringing somebody else in that role. So being too concerned about what people are going to think about you is definitely not a good sign of leadership as opposed to just making a better call or going back on your call and doing what's right for your department. Now, I've been guilty of this myself. There were times where I brought somebody in. I mean, the resume looked good. They interviewed Well, they just look good on paper. You bring the person in, and to be honest, it was a bad culture shock for your department or for your location. I've done this. I wish I can tell everybody I'm batting a 1,000. I'm not. I have made some bad hires. I've made some really good hires. Um, I will say that my batting average is high, but it's definitely not a 1,000. So as a learning curve, even for myself, it's okay to go back on a decision you made, but you have to make sure you put the effort in to train that employee, to coach that employee, show that employee some of the mistakes they're making, and try to work with that employee. But it's a two-way street. The employee has to see what they're doing wrong. The employee has to be receptive to what you're giving them in order for this thing to really, truly work. Now, the question that was asked of me at the beginning of the show was who I was as a leader. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I was the kind of manager that went to bat for my people. I was the kind of manager that made sure that my staff members were taken care of. If I had a really good manager, I wanted to make sure they were getting paid correctly. If I had one of the best parts guys in the organization that was working in my location, I wanted to make sure that employee was taken care of. That's who I was. Now, I wasn't the type that always just fought senior management or fought ownership. I I never wanted to be looked at as that. But I definitely wanted to get my point across just to let them know on what I'm seeing day to day, because most of the time your corporate company doesn't see what happens at your location day to day. It's hard for them to make judgment on what you're doing based off of numbers that come up on their screen miles and miles away. Now, I get it. Those numbers do give a good telltale of what's happening in your department, but it's definitely not everything that's happening in your department. I know I slept a lot better at night doing everything I could fighting for my people, speaking my mind, even if it meant me losing my job. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't recommend anybody going out there and just all of a sudden start fighting senior management. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, it's okay to speak your mind. It's okay to do it in a positive way. Um, I'm not recommending that anybody goes out there and loses their job over it. That is a big idea of the company you work for and the culture you are part of. But if you speak your mind, you do it in a positive manner, I can honestly tell you, it was a lot easier for me to sleep at night knowing I did everything I could and and I made it a point to let my staff know that I fought for them. I did everything I possibly could because I was them. I did work the front counter. I did work the back counter. I was an outside sales rep. And when budgets are given out to your staff, and if the budget is too high, and you know it's not going to work, or you know it may be difficult for them to get, this is going to affect people's paychecks. So I speak a little bit with passion on here because I have worked with some senior managers that just genuinely didn't care. It was almost like, oh, well, that's just what it is. That's what corporate wants. Kind of what I said earlier in the show. You know, if the message is given to them in a negative way, they're just going to give it to them in a negative way. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, it's okay to speak it, and I get it. Don't cross that line and get yourself fired. But as a true leader, as a true manager, and you guys ask me who I am, that's who I am as a person. And that's who I'm always going to be. And I'm not going to change that. Now, the last topic I'm going to discuss is adjusting to times and learning how to adapt. I got to tell you guys this story. This is a true story. So one day, I'm riding with the number one parts guy in our organization. He's the head parts guy out of the entire network. We're riding somewhere together. I don't know why the topic of will call came up, but it did. So he looks at me and tells me that he was opposed to the will call department and that if it were up to him, he would shut down all the will calls at all the locations. Now, I'm going to say this. Not all of our locations had a will call department, but the bigger markets did have one. Uh, The major cities, the major big stores that produce a lot of volume. Well, absolutely, they had one. So he just thought it was an unfair advantage, and he didn't like the fact that people can go into Wilcon and get their parts, and he truly felt that everybody should go up front and wait in line like everybody else to get whatever they needed. Now, when the comment was made to me, it was very hard for me to bite my tongue, and I didn't. I honestly looked at him, and I said, that's got to be the stupidest thing I ever heard. Now, the example I gave him was, let's just look at McDonald's as an example. People don't go to McDonald's because it's healthy and it's good for you. People go to McDonald's because it's inexpensive and people go to McDonald's because it's quick and easy to get in and out. That is the only reason why people go to McDonald's. And I get it. It it tastes good, but it's not healthy for your body. So I brought it over to what we were doing. People deal with us because we're convenient. We're easy to deal with. If they can come in and out and get their parts in a timely fashion, well, guess what? They're going to continue buying parts from you. They're going to continue wanting to deal with you because you made it a little bit easier for them to work with you. Now, I give that example as not somebody that wants to throw shade, but I want to let you know on some of the things that I've dealt with when it comes to bad leaders. This is a person that never wanted to adapt and never wanted to make a change to what was going on in his market. Now, if you're going to raise your hand and say, I want to be the top parts guy, I want to be the senior management guy, then do right by the people and do right by that department. Now, I want to end the show with something new, and I'm going to do this from every show moving forward. And I'm going to call this last segment Dirt of the Day. Now, my whole reason behind Dirt of the Day is, yes, to be entertaining, but it's for me to share stories that I have seen, that I have witnessed, that have occurred with me. And I know that some of you guys may sympathize with me. Some of you guys have worked at some locations or may work for a dealer group where you've seen some off-the-wall crazy things that you never thought you would see at any other location. Well, some of these stories I'm going to share with you are true stories that I've encountered or true stories that I've been a part of, and I'm going to ask the listeners to email me some of those stories. Email me some of the crazy things that have happened at your locations. And don't give me names. Don't give me locations. I, I don't care to do that, but I love sharing the story with the people. So let's get into the first segment of Dude, Man, I, I was just too freaking cool. Let, let, me, let me do that one, one more time. So here's a case where a service manager got caught billing customers parts that the customers were not receiving. Now he was moving parts from one RO to another RO and the RO he was moving the items from happened to be his buddy's vehicle. So what his buddy was doing was getting away with free parts and free labor. And he was billing those parts and labor to customers that did not receive those parts. and did not get the work on that vehicle. So Thankfully, our business system, we were able to catch this, but as you can imagine, we had to apply some credits to the customer. We had to reach out to the customers and let them know what was being done. The same employee decided to go buy some vehicles and put the vehicles under a relative's name, so it never came back on him as if he owned those vehicles, even though everybody in town knew he owned those vehicles. At that point, the relative of his would bring the vehicles in the shop, and then he would get hourly technicians to work on those vehicles. Now, A job that may be quoted at 10 hours, he was billing that customer two hours or three hours. And he was claiming that these were hourly technicians that were working on them. So either way, the hourly technicians were going to get paid. But he was getting away with not billing the full amount to the vehicles for the jobs that were being performed because, yes, they were his vehicles. And here's one more bonus one that I have for you. Parts Manager creates an imaginary bin location. All the items that he should have wrote off throughout the year that just weren't on the shelf, that just disappeared, he puts all of those items because he kept a separate tab on them and moved them to this imaginary bin location for inventory day. Why did he do this? Hmm, here's why he did it. He didn't want to have a write-off at the end of the year, and this is a way where he was trying to hide the missing inventory so it didn't look bad on him as a bad manager not managing his inventory correctly. During inventory day, employee gets a, uh, a bin cycle count sheet that has this imaginary bin location, goes up to the parts director who happened to be there and said, hey, I don't know where this bin's at and I never even heard of it, but it has all these items on it. So parts director looks into it, talks to the parts manager and figured out what the parts manager did. The parts manager admitted that he created this bin. These are items that were not in the building and he should have probably wrote them off, but he decided to just create this bin and just kind of hide them in hopes of not getting in trouble. Believe it or not, both of those employees still work for the current employer today. Well, that's all I got for today's show, so please email us at at hdtalk@outlook.com and check out the website, hddealershipconsulting.com.